Good evening, everyone. As you'll recall, last week we finished talking about agitation and legislation that addressed the terrible living conditions of workers in the mid-1800s. Unfortunately, workers didn't just have to deal with terrible conditions at home, but also terrible conditions in their actual workplaces. This week, we'll hopefully work on that a little bit. Let's start again with England. In early factories, workers were treated like dirt. Extremely long hours, unsanitary conditions, frequent accidents because of machines designed without safety features, lack of ventilation, and no time for meals. All very awful. The first regulations to come about were in 1802, which forbade night work for poor folks in cotton and wool factories, but it only applied to children under state supervision, which was not a lot of people. By 1831, night work for employees under 21 years of age was illegal across the country, which is somewhat helpful, but apparently adult workers don't deserve normal sleep cycles. They also set limits on how much you could make children work in a week. The strangely specific 69 hours a week, which is still a good bit more than I work on a usual basis. These still only applied to cotton mills, though, but at least children across the board, not just those under state supervision. It takes another two years for some more legislation to pass. This legislation was the result of fighting between industrial and agricultural stakeholders, as well as protests by actual workers. In 1833, the Factory Act was enacted, but to the disappointment of the workers, only child labor was protected against. Legislators simply felt that adult men and women didn't need such protections, like 10-hour limits on workdays. These acts were all applied to textile factories, except for lace, which is oddly specific, and I'm not really sure why lace was excused. For the first time, though, children under the age of 9 could not be hired for work, which is good, but concerning because that meant that before this law, literal grade schoolers were sometimes working in factories. Don't worry, though, factory owners of the 1800s, you can still employ children between 9 and 13 years old, as long as you don't work them more than 48 hours a week. It boggles my mind that English children of the 1800s worked as much as I do in a given week. And it boggles my mind even more that between the ages of 13 and 16, the limit was again bumped up to 69 hours a week. If you were wondering how that adds up from a 10-hour workday, because I did, it's because there were no weekends for these poor folks. That was 10 hours each day, every single day of the week. Finally, the cleaning of machinery in motion was outlawed, which I very much approve of being an engineer. And every factory owner was required to provide two hours of schooling for all children employed in his plant. I have no idea how children could have focused on classes after 10-hour workdays and when they take place in a grimy factory, but it's something, I guess. Most importantly, four inspectors were appointed whose jobs was just to go to factories and make sure these laws were actually being followed. They were allowed to enter any factory at any time and were to investigate any problems that affected the workers, even outside of the factories. So, after conditions were marginally improved in factories, Children were then shipped off to the mines to work, because I guess you can't have kids not working somewhere in terrible conditions. A number of disasters happened in mines around this time. For example, in the Jarrow coal mine from 1826 to 1845, at least 123 people died in four separate explosions. Among the dead, I've found records of children as young as eight who were killed. There was, unsurprisingly, a public outcry, and in 1840, a commission was set up to investigate child labor in mines and factories. It found, unsurprisingly to us, awful conditions for the children at work, which were highlighted with illustrations in reports, in case, quote, members of parliament who might think themselves too busy to read the text of the report 
would turn over its pages to glance at the illustrations. I kid you not, no pun intended. Some highlights for you of that report. Women often pushed coal carts through passages no taller than 18 inches. Statistics showed that infant and child mortality in mining districts was four or five times worse than in agricultural ones. It was, to say the least, not good. The reports shocked the English public. In particular, folks were appalled that the mine children were not educated on religion, and that women were working aside men almost completely naked, as opposed to, you know, the terrible health problems and the injuries caused by the work. Despite not having their priorities straight at all from our modern perspective, some new laws were passed in 1842, which outlawed women and boys under 15 from working underground. And that's it. But I guess it's a start. These two sets of regulations essentially outline how progress will be made, though. You have sympathetic figures like women and children working in terrible conditions. Usually something awful happens to highlight the issue. Public outcry leads to an investigative report, which leads to more outcry as the size of the problem becomes extremely clear. And then eventually some weak and watered down, but still helpful legislation is passed. In the 1860s, these kinds of regulations spread to non-textile and non-mining industries. The manufacture of pottery, matches, finally lace, paper, iron, copper, brass, and all sorts of stuff fell under regulations as well. Likewise, while other countries were a little slower on the uptake, similar cycles of protest, reports, and legislation led to changes in factory conditions. Towards the end of the 1800s, most industrialized countries had laws in place to protect women and children from the worst of working conditions. At the end of the 1800s in England, women and young children were protected from 12-hour workdays, and actually were required to have breaks for food. Who would have thought? That's it for this week. Next week, we'll discuss the first steps towards international cooperation on issues of public health, which feels especially relevant right now during coronavirus. As always, thank you for lending me your ear. If you enjoy the stuff I put out, please let me know with the links in the show notes, or tell a friend. Thanks, too, to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music.